Bridging the Voices. Hello, Medi Health Podcast listeners. Welcome to Season Seven, Episode Two. In the last episode, we talked to Dr. Willis about his evolutionary research on yellow monkey flowers, also known as mimulus, and how his research improves our understanding of the topology of the environment. Today, Dr. Willis is going to share with us more about his life as a professor and a researcher. Oh wow! Uh, I yeah, like we are wondering, because、um, from mentoring introductory students to actually mentoring graduate students and research even PhDs,、uh, we saw that your lab actually nurtured a lot of outstanding students who go all the way to become assistant professor now, even associate professor. Even full professor. I'm. Yes. I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which speaks a lot about your mentoring. Like, what's the secret behind your mentoring? Like, what's your mentoring philosophy towards? Well,、students? I've just been really lucky to、um, uh, work with some amazing students and amazing postdocs, and I've learned so much from them. Really,、uh, that you know, I it, it's just really been an important. Part of my career, and the also the other thing is that、um, the way I try to run the lab is that research projects that we're working on might change from year to year depending on the interests of the students or the researchers. So, because we're you know ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, we were starting out working on mimulus with just a small number of resource researchers. And not much in the way of genetic or genomic resources. The idea was to build the community sort of organically by encouraging other people to work on mimulus, to、um, encouraging PhD students and postdocs and other collaborators to, if they liked their project that they were working on for their dissertation, then they could take that with them. And develop it further in their own career, as they became assistant professors and so forth. So they could、um, take that research, and we would figure out something new to work on based on the new generation of graduate students and postdocs. So if you look at the work that we've done historically, it's been all over the place because students have been interested in speciation, how new species are formed. At the genetic level, they've been interested in adaptation to、um, different habitats. They've been interested in variation within populations. All of these、um, different kinds of questions, but all with mimulus and all with the same closely related group of species. And so they have contributed to developing all of the genetic and genomic knowledge. That we now can take advantage of as a larger community. So that that was sort of a vision that we had early on was to make it so that people could easily work on this group of of plants, and we could all together develop the resources, the genome sequence databases, and all of that stuff.、Um, so that's that's been. Really successful because people have been able to launch their own careers 
and be very successful uh, in their own independent research. Partly because we have such a cooperative community of researchers that are willing to share ideas, data, seeds, whatever. So now there are, you know, well over hundreds of people who are working on Mimulus in lots of different labs all over the world. So, yeah. Um, it's really uh, interesting to hear your, a lot of your explanations. It's really kind of like you're giving a lecture to us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting to hear so many, like the fun facts you have provided. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so next we'll maybe uh, talk more a little bit more about your career as a professor and a researcher. So first of all, just out of my curiosity, like you're teaching a huge course about 202 in Duke University, right? With more than 200 students. Like how do you keep track of your lots of the students' performance? <laughs> well, I... Luckily, I, I work with uh, a ton of people who, um, uh, you know, really make up a team of teachers and, uh, you know, teaching assistants, laboratory prep staff, and um, many others. So it really takes a whole team to teach a big class like this. And I basically just get up on stage and deliver content during the lectures. But what you don't see behind the scenes is all of the hard work that all of the other instructors are doing to keep track of grades, to teach lab sections, to hold office hours, to um, work with students, to help them learn the material, and really to help develop the course going forward. Um, just a second, hang on, uh, like five, 10 minutes, something like that roughly speaking. Um, so yeah, so the, um, the team is really a critical thing. I could never ever teach that many students on my own and certainly not um, keeping track of all of the grading, grading all the material um, on top of everything else. So it, it really is, we're very lucky to have outstanding instructors and um, staff and teaching assistants many of whom are graduate students in our program or have strong interests in science education. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm currently in your class and I realize I've received so much help, not only from the lecture, but also everyone who is on a team who is like guiding us to the right direction. But when I ask students on like what their deepest impression on this class, and they will say that it's your upbeat characters and all the fun. <laughs> but yeah, that is really impressive achievements. Like we, yeah, it, we also appreciate your flexibility towards students and enable them to unleash their full potential, right? To go further on the research. And uh, we are also interested that that how do you balance the two characters in your career? One is a researcher and another is a professor. It I actually think they're completely uh, um, interconnected because the, what, like teaching 202, the introductory biology class, um, 
we're covering a lot of material, but it's really forced us to try to distill it down to the most essential um, aspects of the field. I could teach all kinds of facts and um, you know, complicated mathematical equations and things, but over the years, we've really uh, narrowed it down to the, the essential topics. And that is often, those are often the topics that we find most exciting to do research in. And so the, you'll notice that the class that we teach, there isn't any textbook that matches it. It doesn't, um, there isn't a single text that um, covers the material that we cover in the way we cover it. Because a lot of what we're doing is based on the way research is being conducted right now. And, um, and so I would say that a lot of the stuff that we think about when we're teaching comes from the research we're doing and vice versa. Often questions that undergrads have are really perceptive questions that lead to new ideas in research. So I think it's, it's really essential that um, you have both going on and they sort of are feeding back and forth to each other things that you, in, um, for, for listeners who did not know, so Professor Willis is a very upbeat person, and whenever he comes to class, he has a lot of exciting stories to tell. So how do you keep yourself enthusiastic all the time? In well, of course, I'm drinking tea right now, so caffeine definitely helps. But uh, really, I think it's such an exciting time to, to study biology. And you all are, you know, learning about biology during a period when we're making unbelievable discoveries every day with um, genetics and genomics and all of the technology that is allowing us to learn things that we couldn't have learned 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that these introductory biology classes in addition to teaching you the foundation, are really should be to get you excited about the field and to make you realize that, oh, wow, I really love this material and I can see doing this myself down the line. Um, we want as many people as possible to think about careers in the sciences. And of course, my bias is in biology. And so I think that, um, you know, part of my job is to convey the excitement about the field, about the really amazing things that we're discovering and make, you know, help students realize that it's an extremely exciting time to be alive and to be learning about, um, you know, all of this cool stuff. So that's, I think that's, you know, it's just very um, motivating for me to see all of the students in class. And it's wonderful now that we're having live classes to actually interact with students in person and not just on Zoom. So yeah, it's really great. Yeah, it's really exciting to hear that. And, and also, I think every student will appreciate a very enthusiastic teacher like, like you, right? Because uh, um, being guided by a teacher like you is kind of like being motivated every day and like having, having fun. It's not only taking the course, but also having fun 
to explore the science with the instructor every day. So yeah. I think that's just really important. Well, thank you very much. But um, I think that it is, uh, you know, I think that's what all of the, the biology professors want to do. And um, especially at the introductory level, um, I think in the old days, introductory biology classes and introductory science classes were seen as, um, uh, you know, sort of um, gateway. Weed out classes. Yes, weed out classes. That's what I was trying to remember. So, and that was just really counterproductive because it only selected people who already had strong interests and knowledge in the field. And it really turned off huge generations of people who maybe didn't realize that this was their passion. They hadn't been exposed yet. And so uh, to me, the introductory biology classes really serves as a tremendous opportunity to reach out to all students and to give all students the chance to really appreciate um, the exciting science that is being done and that will be done in the future. So um, I think that a lot of us have realized that introductory classes really should be, um, you know, uh, reaching out to all students with all backgrounds, so. Yeah, so I felt that when students read, because once we take that class, we know the big picture, but we were wondering how the student actually narrow down to the research topic that they are interested in. Like, where, where should students start if they are thinking of engaging research, especially in the field of evolutionary biology? I think that it's really important, if you can, to do research as an undergrad. And it, it doesn't really matter what exactly it is, but if you can find a lab um, where you're interested at least you think you're interested in the material at first, that will help you develop your own sense of what your passion is, what your real interests are, what your strengths are. And you can um, you know, begin to immerse yourself in a research culture where you go to lab meetings, you do informal presentations of ideas and results and experiments. And you read papers, you read literature, um, from the fields. And I think it's really good if you can work in a couple of different labs and just sort of, you know, maybe for a semester at a time or maybe for a year at a time. Um, and even after, um, after you graduate from undergrads, a lot of students go on and work as uh, research assistants in labs. The more you can do that, the more you can kind of explore your own interests and see how that's reflected in the field itself. Because ultimately you want to mesh your interests with a part of the field that is um, really exciting and where you can really make new contributions. And that, that takes a little while to figure that out. I mean, with new graduate students, often it takes a year or two of reading and doing different experiments and thinking about things and doing rotations in other labs until they find a, a home, an intellectual home and a you know, physical home. Um, so I really encourage students to, uh, new grad students, to not feel committed 
to the field that they signed up for when they joined the grad program, but really to keep an open mind. And if they find something really exciting to do that. Yeah, thank you for your insightful suggestions. And we wonder that do you recommend undergraduate students to pay close attention to all the newest findings and why? You mean, how can they do that? Like, um, to, if it's necessary. Oh, I think it's just, you know, it's hard keeping up with all new stuff. And part of the thing is, um, if you uh, try to keep up with this, the latest stuff in the news, you may not really be understanding a particular field in depth. Because the news is always about new and exciting things, but it doesn't necessarily describe the whole field or, or whatever. So I think it's better to learn about it in the context of a lab when you're doing some research projects or in upper level classes where you're reading papers and discussing them with other people, seminar classes and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, it definitely is good to read the news. New York Times has great science articles. Um, you can often, you know, get alerts from when new papers are published from science or nature um, or cell or whatever. But sometimes it's really hard to understand why this is exciting or interesting just from, you know, the news. And it often takes a deeper context, a deeper understanding of the field that just takes time to develop. I agree the time but I also really appreciate you said that not to commit in one thing because I thought that a lot even undergrads like when we sign up to work in a lab we just think that oh maybe I'm working here in the next three or four years but it's yeah. really important to keep an open mind to explore and that's the point of liberal arts education that's exactly oh. right yes, yeah exactly <laughs> and and you yeah. learn so much as you go along that you're right. if if you're really learning things and thinking about them, your ideas of what's interesting will change over time. And you want to go with that and take advantage mm -hmm. of that new insight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like given like people exploring so many things, what, what transferable skills do you think is applicable to the field of research? Like since it's a time for exploration, should we master on data science or other? I, don't, I would just explore everything and see what really appeals to you. I mean, there's so much going on in all these different fields that, um, you know, there's something there for everyone. And, you know, so I would definitely explore widely, take as many classes as you can that um, cover topics that you don't know anything about, but you're just curious about. And mm -hmm. so... I wouldn't worry so much about grades or anything like that. It's just more important to just explore what, you know, you find interesting mm -hmm. and, you know, have that sort of personal dialogue with yourself uh, to see like, do I really like that? Or is this really boring? Or do I have the ability to, you know, do I have the interest and passion to really explore data science or genomics or, you know, medicine or, or whatever, molecular biology, ecology, earth science, you know, it, it really comes down to personal um, uh, 
interests and passions. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. I think before we call it a day, do you have any extra advice that you want to share with any last words or you want to share with students? Just have fun. Oh, okay. So our takeaway <laughs> is have fun. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that. We just go around and explore and have fun with bio and anything that we are taking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Fantastic. I've really enjoyed talking with both of you and thank you so much for inviting me for this podcast. to know how a professor's life looks like? As a researcher, it's quite hard to keep oneself upbeat and interested in academy all the time. And as a professor, it's even more difficult to interview all the students' enthusiasm on learning and discovering. Dr. Willis raised up several thought-provoking suggestions to both graduate and undergraduate students. Coming up next, we will learn about Professor Nina Sherwood's academic career. Stay on tune and we will see you very soon. Bye. This episode is hosted by Marita Tan and Yi Jia Liu, while audio is edited by Yi Ping Tian. Audios are uploaded by Chu Tong Fang. Graphics are designed by Tan Shui Culture. Articles are written by Gloria Gunn and Jason Duan. Articles are translated by Yu Yue Guo, while newsletter is designed by Jason Duan. Social media publicity by Yu He Jin. Secretary contributions by Mei Chen Yap. Thank you to Professor Max Speller, our advisor, and Ms. Chan Swimming, our strategic communications trainer. Opening music produced by Chang Yi Huan. A huge thanks to Dr. John Willis from Duke University. Also, a huge thanks to DKU Health Humanity Labs who sponsored this podcast. See you next time. Many Health Podcasts. Bridging the Voices. Wu Xian Jiankang. <laughs>